0: To say Baratunde Thurston has built a prolific career feels like an understatement. He's a writer, activist, comedian, and author of the best-selling book, How to Be Black. He's also an Emmy-nominated host and has worked on the digital side of The Daily Show and The Onion. His TED Talk, How to Deconstruct Racism One Headline at a Time, has over a million views on YouTube.
1: We get out my identification, the car registration, lay it out in the open, roll down the windows, my hands are placed on the steering wheel all before the officer exits the vehicle. This is how to stay alive. As we wait, I think about these headlines. Police shoot another unarmed black person. And I don't want to join them.
0: This is disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown Dean. The second season of Baratunde's PBS series, America Outdoors with Baratunde Thurston, releases its final episode on October 11th. Today, we talk to him about the show and how he came to be the person that he is today. Baratunde, welcome to Disrupted.
1: It's great to be here. Let's disrupt some things.
0: That's what it's all about. And it clearly has been your life's journey of disrupting spaces, disrupting understandings and building. Before we talk about the new season of your show, which is amazing, by the way, I want to talk about your background, because I remember the first time that I read your memoir and you talked about your name and Mm. what it meant to be a young person without the power to tell people, actually, Barry isn't my name. Call me by my name. What was that experience like of growing up in DC in these spaces of, in some ways, extreme privilege and other ways, challenge, and having these kinds of identifiers to stick
1: out? It was exhausting. <laughs> it was. It was at times. It was exhausting. I remember. So I grew up in Mount Pleasant, in a, a great neighborhood in Washington D.C. It was uh, heavily black and and Latinay and. Uh, Some white people in certain parts of the neighborhood. I went to a public school. My very first teacher uh, was like, you're Barrington, like Barrington Bear. And I don't even know what that means. I just know that's not my name. But that's what I became. And then some other teacher was like, Days hard. You're Barry. And these these were Black people. And so I became Barry. And I switched over to this private school and I was going through this rites of passage program. It's very Afrocentric coming of age process, trying to restore something that had been taken from us as black people. And they were like, son, your name is Baratunde. It's a beautiful name. You got it. You got to claim that. And so I, I showed up at my my new shiny private school, heavily white school. And I was like, I am not Barry. I am Baratunde. And I had to negotiate these little side deals with people to get them to call me. By my name. Uh, but it was worth it. It worked. It, it took time and effort and energy. And I think it gave me some of the strength that I have used uh, to carry me forward to this day. So ultimately, I'm grateful for it. Could have been a lot worse.
0: It resonated deeply with me as a kid growing up in Virginia with the name like Kalilah that no one mm. could pronounce. No one would try to pronounce. And they would just say, well, I'm going to call you Kay. Or I'm going to call you Shay." And again, that same experience of it took me getting older to realize there's beauty in this name. There's power in being able to say this is my name and you will respect it, particularly at a time when people could say Tchaikovsky, but couldn't say Baratunde or couldn't say. I mean,
1: (laughs) I used to maybe you and I had similar um, exercises, little games we'd have to play to survive this and try to urge people, nudge them along. You know, partly I was angry and i'm just like what is wrong with all of you and then another part of me was like well if it's unfamiliar i kind of understand that let me try to make it easy for you can you say encyclopedia and these little kids be like yeah encyclopedia i'm like that's way easier than baritone day let's go can you say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and they would just roll off the tongue with that i'm like my name is literally like a third as long as that you got this i believe in you more than you believe in yourself you can do it i'm up here trying to hype people up about their ability to see me as the person that i am um and then other times that you know total total loss of patience but i think you know what you've brought up here it's one of the it's a very you know alex haley roots sort of situation right and when you have emerged from a history where so much has been taken homeland, religious practice, mother tongue. And and your parents, in, in I assume both of our cases, have imbued us with specific names. Kalila is a beautiful name. Baratunde is a beautiful name. And so for the world to just show up and skip that and be like, actually no, we're colonizing all over again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're just gonna rebrand you um and sting you with this new label. We're not the la- it's like the last line of defense. You know, if, if you can't fully control your living situation, your economic situation, your housing, you can at least control um, your name <clears throat> and insist on people referring to you by your chosen name, by your given name. Seems so yeah. basic,
0: right? And yet we continue. I want to share with our listeners something that you wrote in your book called How to Be Black. And you write in this book, my version of being Black adheres as much to the stereotypes as it dramatically breaks from them. What does that mean for you?
1: It means I love fried chicken and I love hiking. <laughs> right? like, it, it means um, that I could rock a game of spades and uh, I'm a meditator and a nerd. Uh, it, it means... That I, as all human beings do, uh, contain multitudes and that stereotypes can be occasionally useful binding agents for group membership, but they can also be very limiting for the full expression of who we are. And so I take some joy in being a, a member of this community that has defined itself by certain foods and cultures and practices or been defined by others with certain foods and cultures and practices. And my my independent spirit insists that I also walk my own path. So I walk alone and I walk with others. And I think that's just like the human paradox.
0: Well, I don't know how to play spades. So I'm hoping that you'll allow me to retain my black heart. Please don't you judge know me what? <laughs> for that. There, there's still time. Don't judge
1: me either because I, to be really real, I used to be great at spades and I, I have not played in so, so long, Kalila that I can't even really claim that anymore. So let's just get to the deeper level here and say my spades game is rusty and I need to go back to school.
0: You have to change that.
1: I I will, especially now it's on the record. I got to. It's
0: on the record. We have a good listener audience. They will hold you to that. (laughs) You just mentioned going back to school. You went to one of the most elite influential private schools in the country, very well-known school, you then go on into higher education, very elite, very respected institutions of learning. And I imagine that your situation was that you were one of very few kids of color in those spaces from neighborhoods that maybe you had, you know, classmates whose parents were in Congress and were navigating in different ways. Did you ever have a moment where you questioned your presence in those spaces? Or were you able to walk into them with this affirmation? You are very confident, right, in how you <laughs> navigate multiple spaces right now. Right. Was there ever a moment of doubt of why am I here or should I be in this space?
1: What is what is this doubt you speak of, Kalilah? I've read about this term in, in the great ancient texts. Uh, yes, of course, I was a teenager. I doubted everything. I doubted my skin. I doubted my attractiveness. I doubted my sense of belonging in many places. Um, It was more of that doubt existed in in the middle and high school experience at Citadel Friends in D.C. That was a really abrupt shift culturally from the neighborhood and household that I grew up in, in terms of dollar net worth of the families uh, in terms of house size, in terms of ethnicity and even religious practice it was my first experience with Jewish people was at this school. I, I knew that Judaism was a religion. I did not know any Jewish people until I went to Sidwell and I went to my first bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. And so some of it was just amazingly different in the, the most exploratory positive sense. Other times, um, it was just hard. I think it was, I felt definitely some shame at times for the things I didn't have that other kids seemed to have. Our home was nice. You know, we weren't living in a shack somewhere. We didn't have an outhouse. Like We had all the modern fixtures and plumbing and everything like that. But I think there was a part of me that didn't I know there was a part of me that didn't feel entirely like I was of this world, and so I carried a bit of shame around that, which I shed over time, but it took some practice. I also think, you know, I was very comfortable in the land of grown-ups and doing the student leadership thing and talking the adult talk and advocating and activism, activisming, but I lacked confidence with my peers. And like, what does it mean to be uh, a young man, a growing boy? What does it mean to date and relate to these girls and young women? (laughs) I had no idea what I was doing. And so in that sense, that was like a universal teenager experience had very little to do with race or class, but sometimes those elements exaggerated my lack of confidence. There were just fewer models around. I didn't. Do I even have the funds to? What do you? What do you invite a girl to do? I don't have a car to pick anybody up. <laughs> you'll meet me at the bus station. <laughs> it didn't seem like the greatest uh, game to be kicking back in the nineties. So yeah, my the confidence you see now has emerged from many embarrassing moments, many failures, a lot of practice. What I rarely doubted though was my intelligence my self-worth I don't remember much thinking I don't know if I can make it here you know in terms of the the intellect part socially awkwardly for sure but I think my mother just put too much sense of self like who I was but also who we are as a family as Black people as descendants of enslaved folks who survived a lot worse than acne. For me to be able to ever in any sustained way wonder can I do this? Can I make it? Do I belong? If anything, I was just like, these people, you know, they're kind of lucky, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that that I'm willing to put up with all this nonsense. <laughs> and that was um, that was very helpful because there are a lot of moments that people want to make you doubt yourself from what your name is to how smart you are to how pretty or beautiful or attractive you are and all all these things. And so in some of those areas, I suffered typical lack of confidence, but in in others, I was like, nah, I'm good. You got a problem, that's your problem. That was Tunde Thurston,
0: host of PBS series America Outdoors with Baratunde Thurston. Coming up, Baratunde talks about using nature to bridge the political divide.
1: When you're in a boat with someone, literally in the same boat, the metaphor is overwhelmingly powerful. If you or I rock too hard, we're both out the boat and in the water. We both suffer.
0: This is Disrupted. Today we're talking with Baratunde Thurston. He's host of the PBS series America Outdoors with Baratunde Thurston. He's also host of the podcast How to Citizen with Baratunde.
1: I think a lot of what we end up arguing over and fretting about with this democracy crisis is the mechanics. How does the Constitution determine who the president is? What's the makeup of the court system? Where are the borders drawn between voting districts? Hey, do we even count votes anymore? And don't get me wrong, the mechanics and the structures are important, but we need to go deeper. That was a
0: clip from an episode of How to Citizen. The series uses the word citizen as a verb rather than a noun. So I asked Veritunde what it means to citizen in this current political moment.
1: It means to offer more than is asked of us in a time when we need all of us. It means to remember our capacity to live together despite and because of all of our amazing differences. Uh, it means we are at a place and an opportunity to uh, to remember that we we are better than some of the structures that we find ourselves in. And that's not an excuse to give up. It's an excuse to to build something better. This word citizen is a really challenging term with battles over belonging and immigration that have been raging throughout this country's history, throughout most nations' history, but this is my country, so I know this history a little better. And so we've chosen with the podcast and the emerging work we're doing around how to citizen to interpret it as a verb. To citizen is to show up and participate, It's to invest in relationships with yourself, others, and the planet around you. It's to understand power, how we grow it, how we generate it, understanding it's not a dirty word. It's just a way to get people to do stuff you want, and that's okay. Most importantly, it's to commit to the collective as we understand all those other pieces, and not merely to our individual selves. And so we have this democracy crisis going on in the U.S., and a lot of democracies around the world and that's a real that's a real thing there's academics who feel it there's activists who feel it there's just just people working every day who feel it there's parents who feel it something's off we've lost faith in our system which makes the whole system weaker but we also are justified in our loss of faith because it's not delivering in so many ways it's well beyond just left and right Democrats and Republicans, there's just something a bit off. And and some version of this thing that we have grown up in is dying. And that's a really mournful statement. And it's a bit okay. Because the thing that we're calling democracy, the the bragging that we do as Americans, the longest-running democracy, it's incomplete. It wasn't ever built for all of us to begin with. So some of it does need to die. Death is also a new life moment. And so what I'm seeing and what we're trying to celebrate with the How to Citizen work is the, the rebirth, the renewal, the pursuit of this beautiful promise that we've never delivered on of liberty and justice for all, of, of by and for the people, right of self-governance. And if you like the word democracy or not, it doesn't matter. we got to figure out how to live together. That's the basics. And so to citizen is to work toward that end, living well together. And there's great news in that department that we don't hear very often, but there's folks in every sector of our world, in every region of this country and beyond, who have tried some different things to demonstrate our ability to live together. And it's very rarely coming out of a political task force. (laughs) Or a report. It's just people sharing power, wrestling with, disagreeing productively, and figuring out how to to do the self-governance thing.
0: One of the ways that people figure out those connections is by understanding and recognizing that there is something greater than us individually. And I think of the great outdoors in that mm. notion that there's something more, view- more beautiful that's vast, that's all-encompassing, that connects us together if we are humble enough to take a step back and see it and experience it in its fullness. It's why I think America Outdoors with Baratunde Thurston is such a powerful series. Because while you are focusing on these amazing spaces across the country, you're also telling the stories of people who are reclaiming their connections to nature and the outdoors, who are reminding us that we don't own this land, even though we often treat it as if it is at our disposal. How do you see people interacting with nature as a part of this broader project that you have to show those humanities, to show those connections, but also to encourage people to get outside?
1: Delilah, you really understand what I'm trying to do. This is just very humbling. Thank you. Um, the country is divided for sure in so many ways. And we share things, we share rivers, we share mountains, we share coastlines. We have to, there's just no reasonable world where we all live in our little islands. None of us alone can provide everything we need. And what I see in making this show, how this show connects, is folks who are literally sharing common ground. It's very easy for me, as a left-leaning dude, to rant and rave about the quote-unquote other side. I can do that very safely from my keyboard or my smartphone I can do it from my living room. I can do it from my friend circle at the dinner table. And it's just, it's simpler that way. And sometimes I prefer the simplicity of othering because I don't have to get to know you as a person. I know your bullet points. I don't like your bullet points. But when you're in a boat with someone, literally in the same boat, the metaphor is overwhelmingly powerful. If you or I rock too hard, we're both out the boat. And in the water, we both suffer. And that's not an argument for simplistic civility. But it is an argument for relationship building. Mutual understanding. And what I have found as I have traveled this country with a lens on the outdoors and the people who have that deep connection. Is that that is a great space. It's a literal great space to reconnect with each other as people. and With nature, which we're a part of. And so there's a lot of separation going on in our minds about racial separation, class separation. We also got species separation. We've got this idea the earth is just here to help us make money. It's a natural resource. No, son. (laughs) These trees are our lungs beyond our bodies. We are a part of nature and we have forgotten that. And so as I find people who remember that more than most of us, they're also in a position to remind us of all that we have in common and to find new reasons to be together. Not being British ain't enough anymore, right? That that flu in 1776, we are well past defining ourselves based on not. So what's the affirmative reason? Together. We do share land. How do we share it? Are we willing to acknowledge who was here first? Are we willing to acknowledge that we need this land in order to remain living on this land with the challenge of climate change that we have caused? The answer to all that is yes. And what we're trying to do in part in America Outdoors is is show that with a very light touch. (laughs) <laughs> and we, we let the, a lot of these people speak for themselves in terms of how they are interacting with nature and how that might reflect a different story of how we can relate to each other.
0: That was writer, comedian, and cultural critic Baratunde Thurston. Coming up, ask Baratunde what he's learned about himself through hosting America Outdoors.
1: Don't you make me cry. That is not, that was not on the agenda.
0: This is Disrupted. Stay with us. Welcome back to Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. This hour, we're talking with Baratunde Thurston about his PBS series, America Outdoors, with Baratunde Thurston. In the first episode of the newest season, Baratunde goes to a church service that's held by the Okefenokee Swamp in Georgia.
1: This is Reverend Antoine Nixon. He's pastor of Mount Carmel Missionary Baptist Church. He was born less than 10 miles from here. As a child, he came to play and fish at this swamp, but eventually lost touch with it. Now, he leads his congregation here as often as he can. What is the difference in terms of your experience of the sermon, how does it feel different to do it outside versus inside? Well, definitely I feel like outside is more of a spiritual connection to uh, nature itself, trying to get back to uh, what God intended. There's times where you can feel like you're isolated because you're only inside. So coming back, it's like reconnecting. What is the value or the power of feeling connected to this one? Well, I think it takes me back to Genesis. In the beginning, God formed, man. He placed him in a peculiar place, this paradise of sorts. And as you're looking, I mean, where are you going to find gators coming to your service? This is very peculiar. I'll Isn't give you that. that. This is that. It's a very peculiar place to be <laughs> yes. in, you know. And, and uh, also, there's a, a different energy level out here yeah. than it is on the inside of the walls.
0: I asked Day about the choice to open the season with a church service.
1: It was a really, really, really powerful moment down in southeast Georgia in the Okefenokee Swamp. I think we've found a couple of things in that moment religion and spirituality and its connection to our relationship with nature. There, there's, you know, I'm not a very religious person. I was baptized, I grew up in a couple of different churches. I do believe in a higher power, but I don't go to church service. I respect a lot of the practice. And what I really loved about opening the series with that service, the church that we were worshiping in was outside. It was just the swamp. And it was among the most beautiful religious structures I've ever been in. We became more one with nature. We sang, we opened with song, and not just any song, Wade in the Water which has layers and layers of meanings, very literal, spiritual, historical, like liberatory, so much imbued in that without having to say all that. I love starting the series with that story because it's centered on a group of poor Black folk in a forgotten corner of an often lowly regarded state. But those folk are sitting on something and nurturing and protecting something of great value, not just to them, but to all of us, which is a common theme in this country. The people we overlook the most have the most to offer. The forgotten, the poor, the immigrant, the incarcerated, so much genius, literally locked up. And so locked up in this swamp is the source of fresh water for the Swanee River and a whole watershed that millions of people depend on. Locked up in the swamp, is millions and millions of metric tons of carbon that the peat bog there, one of the largest in the country, sequesters naturally for us, saving us from ourselves. So you've got overlooked people, overlooked nature, doing a lot of work to help all of our butts. It's hard for me to think of a better way to open a series because it's such a foundational yet forgotten truth of what our relationship with each other and our relationship with nature means, what value it offers. And and lastly, Elilah, it's beautiful. It's like, you could miss all that. You could miss the references to enslavement. You could miss the references to poverty. You could miss the references to climate crisis and still get something powerful from the beauty of a swamp. And it's very, for me, I don't think of swamps as beautiful places. I wasn't raised to. It's that we want to drain the swamp. We want to do all these things to kind of mow it over and develop it. It's actually perfect the way it is. (laughs) um, So for all those reasons, maybe a few more, it was, no pun intended, the natural choice to kick off season two.
0: There are other episodes where you are exploring Native communities and how indigenous people care for a land, especially given their historical experience of being denied, of overlooked, Mm. purposely undermined. You talked about how the land can help people in recovery feel a sense of worth and purpose, often when they have been told that they are suffering because of their choices and how the land allows them to feel free and still have a purpose. We had Leah Penniman on the show a few months ago. And Leah talked about how, particularly for Black people, but also for Indigenous communities, there can often be a conflicted relationship with the land because of those histories of control and access, and that this can be a way of reclaiming that power in a way that doesn't have to be spoken, but can really be experienced and viewed. What does hosting this show, going to these spaces, what does that teach you about yourself? Because you focus so much on how you can see connections and how people are building. What do you learn about Bear Day by going to these spaces?
1: Don't you make me cry? That is not that was not on the agenda. Um,
0: it was in the contract. Sorry.
1: Oh my goodness! I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to my people about this. I learned how disconnected I had become. From very important parts of myself and this world. I learned about how much more healing I have to do. And the role that nature can play in that. Yeah, I've been running hard for a really long time. I'm in my mid-40s. I know how to work hard. I need to practice playing more and resting more. And to be able to spend time with particularly black people reclaiming that connection indigenous people reclaiming that connection was um just soulful painful and joyful work there's there's uh <laughs> i had an experience with tree climbing and this series that really broke something open in me from an ancestral trauma perspective. And I had a healing moment after that. In the first season of the series, I was really joyfully out surfing with a group of BIPOC surfers and just feeling the power of nature to to literally hold you up, right? (laughs) To, To walk on water, practically speaking, it is miraculous. And with the indigenous folk I spend time with, there's this constant integration that I have lost track of often in my pursuit of digital connectivity, of productivity, of optimization, that these other forms of life are our relatives. We're not above them, we're next to them. I was on the Rio Grande in New Mexico with a man named Louis Hina. And I asked him to describe what he was seeing as we rafted down this river. I expected him to point out rock features, eddies, types of plants, name a species of bird. He said, I see a pantry. I see a medicine cabinet. I see an altar. I see a resting place, right? He saw around him all that is provided by that which is around him, and often in superior modes to what we manufacture in a really desperate attempt to duplicate, extract, control, and monetize nature, creating greater distance. So for me, again, bringing it back, you asked, I can talk about Louis forever, but I was just like, oh, I have way more resources than I give myself credit. There, there is resource in stillness. There is resource in floating. There is resource in looking at a bird soar and feeling that connection and feeling that power and knowing that whatever I'm carrying, there is literally a whole planet under me that can carry it better. And that whatever I need has been provided by that, that same planet. So, yeah, I got a lot. This has been a physical journey and I've learned that I can do some things I didn't know. I knew how to do. Uh, it's been a very spiritual journey and, and often it's been a healing journey. I've gotten a lot of healing. If I may, I'll add one other element, which is I've reconnected with the kid in me who did so much of this outdoor play stuff very naturally. And that's reconnected me with my mother, who's no longer with us, who introduced me to all this in the first place. And so now I feel like I might be grown. And I'm like, oh, that's what she saw. and <laughs> <You know? laughs> older we get, the more we become like the parents who annoyed us, sometimes in uh, unfortunate ways, but really often in humbling and beautiful ways. And making this show is just like brought me back to my mom, which has been really, really beautiful.
0: You have brought us full circle. We started out talking about power
1: Mm. and
0: talking about how those experiences, the ways that the elders can speak things into existence that we can't even imagine, but now to be at a place in your life where you can appreciate that, and not just for you, but that you can appreciate it in a way that empowers others. I'm thinking of what it will mean for young people to see this season in our hyper addiction to technology is the way to connect, to just get outside and sort of stand with your feet flat on the ground and experience all that is around you. As we come to the close of our conversation, I want to ask you this very basic question. What brings you joy? Hmm.
1: Many, many things. What brings me joy as I reflect in this moment right now is laughing with my wife. (laughs) There's, you know, you have these occasional moments with someone you are close to, doesn't really matter in what way, when they surprise you or you surprise them and you just explode with the absurdity of the moment, there's a release. And, and I'm remembering some recent moments of just unexpected release. If you get a massage, if you're lucky enough to get a massage, that's expected release. <laughs> but if you just have this spontaneous moment of shared laughter, that's surprise. And there is, there's joy. I, I find joy in the surprising, unexpected release of something through laughter. Uh, and that that happens in my relationship. It's happened a fair amount on this show. There's a lot of giggling and laughing in this season of things I did not expect from the people I'm with or from the environment that we're in. And I find that to be much needed medicinal joy.
0: Oh, well, here's to more joy, more laughter, and more practicing at your spades game. So that we <laughs> get back to that. Baratunde Thurston is a writer, comedian, host, and executive producer of the PBS series America Outdoors
1: with Baratunde Thurston. Thank you so much for being with us. Kalila Brown-Dean, you have done a phenomenal job in this conversation. I have so enjoyed your company. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. The final episode of the new season of America Outdoors with Baratunde Thurston comes out on October 11th. Disrupted is produced by Kevin Chang Barnum, Wayne Edwards, Meg Dalton, and Katie Tularski. Our interns are Leticia Peters and Joey Morgan. You can listen to all the previous episodes of Disrupted by finding us wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. Thanks for listening.